Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robert Tashi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Our guest today is Dr. Fernanda Oyarzun. Fernanda is a scientist, an artist, and an educator. She has a PhD in biology from the University of Washington and is an associate researcher at both UCSC, the Catholic University of Concepcion in Chile, and at SICOS, the Coastal Social Ecological Millennium Institute in Chile. Fernanda is also an acclaimed artist who works in several media. Her realistic sculptures of marine life have been displayed around the world. Fernanda explains the role that drawing and observation play in science, how our whole body is involved in processing information, and how we can nourish creativity through experimentation and play. Hello, Fernanda. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tony. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, Bill, too. <laughs> welcome, welcome. So you write on your website that art and science are a way that helps you make sense of the world. As an artist, we saw your sculptures, very beautiful, lifelike ceramic sculptures or marine organisms, octopus, fish, mm. mollusks, frogs. Mm. And for me, actually, they invoked a lot of personality and emotion from these marine animals that normally I don't see as a have personality. So that's, that's also uh, something that is very amazing. For us, the very cool thing that uh, we saw in your background was that uh, we see that you are really able to integrate both your art and your science together. They're not separate at all. Uh, your sculptures inform your scientific work and vice versa. And many people who have an artistic and a kind of engineering or scientific background sometimes do one on the side or the other. So, but before we jump into the science and the art, uh, which is the core of our podcast, I wonder, can you tell us one thing somebody should do in Chile? <laughs> well, first, that was like already in your first introduction, you, you cover so many topics that I, I was immediately thinking in. That's so interesting to talk about. But connected to that, actually, for me, always when they ask me something to do in Chile, it's more about experience nature and experiencing the world. You know, knowledge and our experience of the world is a whole amazing integrated experience. And it's the other way around. It's not that we're integrated knowledge, it's that we have been separated it. And now we're just trying to go back to this whole experience. So in Chile, I would say, oh, um, there's so many beautiful places, but, you know, experience the uh, skies in the desert in the north. Atacama Desert is the driest desert in the world, and the skies are pristine. So a lot of astronomies are stand there. And in the other side, Patagonia, where I live, um, there are forests and the fjords, which a lot of Chileans actually don't know. They don't, they don't come all the way down to the fjords. And you know, we have several degrees of latitude that are all just fjords. So it's so gorgeous to experience. And if you dive, please dive in those forests that are underwater on the Macrocystis forest that, you know, they could be 70 meters high, the algae and, and the ecosystems there. So there's so much beautiful, you know, mountains, ocean and, mm. and beautiful landscapes to, to sense and experience. It certainly sounds uh, very adventurous. Have you done all those things? Dive, 
Well, some of those, I, I actually, that's funny. I work in the marine systems, but I don't dive personally, but I do spend a lot of time in the shore and I snorkel and, and I get animals from under. And, and that is actually one thing that one area that I love this intertidal, which is the area of the coast that gets exposed when the tide goes down. And so in the area where I live, which is kind of similar to Seattle or Alaska, more or less all that area, th that zone is huge. And, and there, there's so much beauty in there. And, and yeah, I've been in the Patagonia and in the desert and I have go to the mountains and I, I'm an ecologist. So I spend a lot of time outside. I know Bill's jealous. He's been to the rainforest and I have not. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peru, so, but yes. And desert, I mean, so the, the extremes of both is so great being in a desert or being uh, in a rainforest is uh, so fascinating either way. And uh, I love that you're an ecologist and you gave a side answer and not like some restaurant in the middle of, you know, <laughs> uh, that's good. That's, we appreciate that, the theater or something. So right, right, right uh, in line on brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, the experience of nature actually is where I see much more of these moments in which you get just amazed by someone. You know, people just experiencing, you know, they are playing in the shore and they see me working and they just go and they curiously ask, what are you doing? And I start pointing out some animals and I see their eyes start, you know, open wide. It's like, that is an animal? And <laughs> what does it do? And it does have maternal behavior. What? It's like, I'm <laughs> thinking about aliens. And those moments usually happen for kids, for adults alike when you experience something about nature it's it's like we think we have so figured out what nature is and all in a sudden we experience it more closely and and there is a whole world that changes what you think about yourself about the world about life that's where you experience a lot of creative moments beautiful speaking of creative moments and kind of exposing both kids and adults to uh, to nature and science as part of your work as a scientist and educator, I read that and I heard that in your classes, drawing of biology and marine organisms is a large part of that. Uh, you ask your students to, um, and you teach your students how to draw. Can you tell us the role of drawing and illustration in how you do your teaching and how uh, your students use that for learning? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's, it's not unique to me. I've realized and most people that start you know, working or studying biology, they get into these classes and which you're in the lab and you're asked to draw animals that are opened or under the microscope that you're looking at things or taking notes visually about those things. Sometimes it's done in a very mechanical way though. Um, so it's kind of, you just complete the assignment, you know, the draw the animal, label the parts, then that's it. Me as well as a lot of other professors and and lecturers are, are starting to do is to actually think about these and study these much more carefully. For me, the first thing about drawing is that you have to observe very carefully. A professor, George Van Dassen, actually, which is an amazing microscopy guy, you know, his, 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 his research in the microscopic world is, is amazing. I always jokes that OBC is, you know, between SEM and all these kind of acronyms. OBC, observe very carefully. It's actually the technique. You force, in a way, students to pay attention, to look, 
One thing is what you think you know about an organism, and the other is what you're actually looking in front of you. Uh, you might have your, for example, cells dividing mitosis cycle in your head, but then when you draw what you actually see in the microscope, it's not so clean and pure. It's not so conceptual and you know perfect. You see variation, which is essential for evolution. You see ad adaptations. You see uh, problems that that particular organism have. You question what you know. And so the aspect of approaching from another point of view that is another experience is not just your head, but it's actually your hand drawing, is looking at something and turning it around. Question and seeing if it compares with knowledge is very essential to science. We, we need to be questioning all the time what we think we know, because most of the time it's incomplete or sometimes it's actually plainly wrong. And we have been working on that for a long time. And we assume that this is right, but then we're exposed to, to the real world again and again. And we need to learn and kind of forget what we know and then learn and forget what we know and, and in that way advancing. So, yeah, and, and not only drawing, I do sculpture. I love clay. I have taken clay to, you know, uh, the university and students are actually taking notes with their hands in a different way. And they're asking more questions, you know, like how many tentacles this anemone has? And let's have one or two rows. Okay, let's check the actual description. And you start seeing them engage in a way that is much more playful, that sometimes we forget also, and that it leads you to ask interesting questions. It's interesting that the idea of drawing or working with your hands, I feel like I remember a study or an article years ago about even just handwriting notes, your memory and your retention of information is better than actually typing notes in electronically on a computer or recording it in some other way. Is that part of the kind of learning idea behind it as well? I, I, the observation is certainly interesting. We just heard that recently. One of our uh, guests mentioning that artists observe 80% of the time and then produce 20% of the time. So your observation <laughs> skills have to be so strong. But in terms of the retention of information, is you know, does it make it more real, the tactile element, you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have read several papers that have tested that. I'm not, you know, an expert in that area in terms of, you know, all the literature that has been published since then. But yeah, the, the retention augments for sure. And I actually, people tease me sometimes that we're having random conversations and I already have here a pen in my hand. And sometimes I'm drawing and, and I'm, I always say, sorry, it's just that I listen with my hands. You know, it's, I, I need that process of, moving. Um, I feel like there's whole neural connections between, you know, your hands and the movements. And it's another way, another kind of uh, way in the information is arriving to your brain. It's, it's not just you're, you're listening to something or you're watching something, but also you're moving. And movement seems to be so important. Sometimes actually walking sometimes is interesting. Um, there's a beautiful um, book of Rebecca Solnit, Wanderlust, that is the history of walking. And she talks in different parts of the book of this thing about thinking and, and, you know, and walking as connected and uh, people when memorizing something, a speech, they tend to walk at the same time that they are memorizing or uh, my parents were lawyers and they, they, they told me when the, the, it was traditional to go to study to um, the cemetery because it was a quiet place in which you can walk around while you were memorizing um, the articles and so on. 
So this thing about listening with your whole body, uh, experiencing and processing information with your whole body, um, it's it's I think it's it's fundamental. And sometimes, and that's why it's also coming back to drawing. It's it's interesting for students because they are they always tell me why should I draw if I have a cell phone I can just put it in the microscope you know I take a picture and and you know and that's it it's like yeah but you didn't experience you know that beautiful larvae moving under and you didn't ask questions and you didn't you know um, embodied the knowledge mm. which is that that is a part aspect uh, um, an aspect that I'm very interested in and, and that is actually why in a lot of the sculptures that I do I I put hands, I model hands. Um, I'm interested in the gestures of science, They're like what people actually do with their hands while they are, you know, uh, practicing their research process. And, and one question that is always fascinating to see the faces of, of the scientists is, it, it, which I have done many times, is like, if you pick um, a position of your hand that will represent your work, what would that be? And immediately see them kind of reflecting, looking up, going back to their daily experience. And they pick so many interesting positions of picking something from the ocean to um, taking notes to computer in a specific position. When I do these, this particular gesture with this pinky extended mm -hmm. <laughs> to reach one, that is very important to me. And it's these details of the experience that um, are connected to how you embodied the knowledge and, and you start making sense of it and, and the work and the research around it. Very cool. Yeah, I think um, I think maybe you mentioned in another uh, lecture, Fernanda, that um, science used to be just drawing, you know, uh, you expected yeah. to be able to draw like Darwin going on his expedition. Um, that was the observation. And it's an interesting change in student society today, uh, where that kind of like physical interaction with uh, your subjects with nature with a with your subjects is uh um people think it's as you said why can't you take a just take a picture people think it's not uh, necessary so uh in science and science study how important is it or how prevalent is it to do field research uh versus classroom research uh do you think in terms of um getting an education well it, it has been particularly difficult the last few years you know with the pandemic of course um but being outside uh, depends a lot in what is your field of work. Um, we, we, there's always kind of jokes in between different people that are more theoretical ecologists and they will model and have a, like an amazing you know, paper, but they have no idea what is the animal that they're modeling about because they're all in their numbers versus you know, kind of my side that is much more experimental ecologist that had a big you know, um, kind of... Um, moment of growing in the 60s, 70s, and then has had its own development in which people are going and taking these ideas of how the world works and try to not experiment in the lab, but actually do experiments in the field sites and measuring and stuff. And I, I would say that no matter what you do, um, being, being in the world, experiencing the things that actually happen, it, it, it creates a different understanding and a different type of knowledge. Now we are much more focused in interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary research, which kind of is this idea of starting to talk to other people rather than your own tribe. You know, it's not just us specific you know ecologists that are working in this particular system in this area of the world and we are just so happy to know what each of us is doing 
But if we are thinking about, you know, conservation of um, a specific species of marine organism as a fish that is, you know, in danger of, ex of extinction, to actually talking with economists that works in that in that area, talking with oceanographers, talking with, um, you know, political scientists and sociologists to try to actually understand everything that is happening in the world requires also you to move and experience, you know, that community, that space, that territory, that, you know, group of knowledges that happen in, in, a, in a given site or, or, or specific place. Often we hear, as you said, the cross-pollination of ideas between biologists, economists, you know, is, first of all, there's probably a lot of commonalities that you don't realize, but also kind of getting ideas. And that leads to kind of creative thoughts as well. Uh, creative thought meaning outside of your area of expertise. And for you, in your background, you've been, I think, a creative person before and also during your scientific career, you know, your drawing and then sculpture, and then I think recently murals. This kind of creative thinking and creativity, um, how does that fit into science? Uh, what I mean is, uh, as you said, science can be very dry, it's just pure experimentation. Uh, how can we fit uh, a bit more creativity into science? Can you, for example, set up a process where you engineer that eureka moment? Yeah, those are wonderful questions that I, I'm always thinking about. First of all, what is creativity and, and how you nourish it? And, and, and I would have to say that I think we're all creatives. Like as Picasso once said, like we're all born artists. The problem is to continue being an artist. I feel that we're all creatives. And in a way, we are doing creative acts all the time. I mean, like we are creating our own lives every day since the moment that we wake up in the morning or you put clothes and sometimes you're being more creative with it, what you're putting in. And sometimes you're just much more in a remote mode and you're just repeating something that at some point you created and then you stay doing the same thing over and over, the same breakfast. But at, at some moment you were experiencing that thing that now you're doing automatically, automatically every day, you experience it for the first time. And, and I think that that's kind of the key aspect that for science is essential. It's not uncommon in, because of the pressure of publishing and other things in science to do something wonderful and then once it works, you repeat the same thing over and over again, it's slightly different, but you are already secure that you're going to succeed in publishing that. And having the space to confront something new, experiment and fail without big consequences is what I think is restricting the, the, the creativity that happens in a daily basis for, for all of us, not just in science. So things are simple as students, you know, in, in high school, in elementary school, we, you know, and as parents, we ask, how, how are your grades going? It's very different to ask, what did you learn today? Or what exciting new thing you learned today? Or what was unexpected of, you know, whatever they were teaching you about history or World War I. Um, so those kind of spaces in which the the reward that you get from the conversation or from the evaluation or from whatever external cue you're getting had to do more with the experience, experiencing new things or thinking in new, new ways, which is basically creativity of getting your imagination into something concrete into the world and connecting new ideas and making something that was unexpectedly thought uh, before, something, something that is 
it's it's bringing those dreams, imaginations into reality. That that aspect is is not necessarily welcomed all the time. Although when the result is happening, then everyone is happy that you were creative. But in the process, not necessarily you were rewarded for thinking outside of the box so many times and failing. And uh, and time too, right? It, as you said, like we live in a society where it's very results driven, whether you're in school or at work, it's much more about the production of some goal than the process and the learning and the time even to maybe meander through your learning and your curiosity to come up with that creative idea. And there's so many other external pressures that, that really tamp that down. So trying to create more space and time for people, uh, I think is actually, and particularly at a younger age, is a great idea. The other part of that is being introduced to new ideas, which I think is a little bit about what you've done and, and, and are doing. It's being able to not see science as this box that um, there's no art or creativity in. It's a hard, cold world out there and we have to figure it out, but adding in these outside influences. And how did that come about in your either training or your, your journey? Was that kind of a natural evolution or did you always know you were going to add art and science together? Yeah, um, I, I think I have to thank my parents for that and especially my mother. She was very kind of Renaissance woman. Um, she was a lawyer, but at the same time, she draw and paint, and she was obsessed with astronomy. And so there were books all over my house. I used to play with books before I learned how to read. And I remember trying to draw some of the drawings of the book in the books, and I was not punished for that, <laughs> although I destroy a couple of beautiful books. And I draw in, you know, on the walls and it, it never seemed to be, um, you know, the people tried to explain me that the walls were not actually the preferred medium, but no one was trying to kind of say, oh, no, you don't do that. Like curiosity was encouraged. And so I was very uh, lucky in that. And, and I actually, I, I learned about, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance and all of that when I was very little. And so for me, it was more like, how you study to be that like it's where it's like you know you can be a lawyer a doctor and and where is the kind of Leonardo da Vinci style of profession and I couldn't find it and so for me it was more of trying to fit into the way society is constructed I had a terrible time trying to decide what to study I applied to medicine and to art and to biology and architecture (laughs) When I turned 18, so and 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 it, and it was a good student, so I had the possibility to to do anything of those things, and I ended up sort of kind of deciding to jump into one, but in that moment, really feeling that I was kind of betraying parts of myself. It's like, okay, I love biology, but that means I'm never going to be an artist now, and for me, it has been a reconciliation with that of putting back together my whole history as I have always been. And, and I don't think that I'm that unique in that. That's, that's what's so interesting. Whenever I have given talks or, or talked in, in random conversations, usually people bring up 
their own stories of like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's true that I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a musician or doctors, whatever you go to a doctor, they all wanted to be marine biologists for some reason. And they, people have hobbies and passions and, and aptitudes for different things. And we are kind of forced to immediately label as hobby or something that you do in your free time, which over time is less and less free time. And, and you are kind of alienated of, with parts of yourself. And, and, and I think that's, that's usually the, the aspect that I encourage more to, to people. It's like, I know we all have to make a living and, and focus maybe in some specific things, but those other areas in which you are more playful, in which you are more joyful, sometimes inform so deeply in your daily activities in ways that are so unexpected. Great advice for people to remember their whole selves. And it sounds like you had a period of play. I mean, if you consider applying for medicine and biology and art and architecture, kind of the play period before you kind of had a focus period. Um, so that's really resonant of uh, the message you had. And, and speaking of that, uh, in terms of what you said about how we can engineer creativity, you know, creating spaces for experimentation and not being afraid to fail. Do you see a shift happening in academia to fund more of these art science collaborations, either in Chile or in, when you're working in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that in a way it has been where we are now in the world, what is making this shift. I mean, we are confronting climate change, um, you know, species extinction, um, the crisis of water is really being on the news here in Chile. We're having a, 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 a draw that, you know, the dry area of the Santiago, of the middle area where the metropolitan area is, has experienced more than a decade of below average rains. And so we're starting to, to talk about how to rationalize water and things like that in areas that are actually very wealthy. So it's, it's bringing all these, you know, tensions. And the thing with all these big things, um, the future of food and water and uh, pollution and, and so on, is that we cannot solve it from one single discipline. And so we need to start talking to each other and multidisciplinary things in which you bring experts in different fields and each one do their own study and we put it together. It's not kind of working right now. Um, we need to start talking and create knowledge together. And then, as I said before, you also need to go and talk with the people and talk with other nations too. And, and I'm not only saying different countries, I'm saying within the, the same country. So other forms of, of thinking First Nations have their own beliefs and, and way of relating to knowledge that is also contributing to solutions in many parts of the world. And so we are forced to talk to each other um, in a way that has never done before. And within these, art also is playing a huge role um, and culture in general. Um, I, I, I read in, in one book, um, oh God, I forgot the book, but the quote was, um, at some point I will let you know <laughs> the, 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 the specific um, um, uh, book, but the quote was that this, the, the challenge now is not how to bring um, science to culture, to society, but how to reinsert science into culture. So how to start having it as a normal process of thinking. And so um, now you start seeing, for example, 
a lot of arts and science internships or residencies, a lot of, you know, like the CERN, that is one of the most famous, um, you have a space for artists to go and play around. Um, I did one in, um, in the Smith Ocean Institute of the, the, the program Artists at Sea. And so as an artist, I got to spend time with engineers that were on board of the Falcor, this is in a graphic um, ship that were ex experimenting with autonomous robots. And I got to play with clay in between all of that and ask the scientists what they were doing and create a project based on that. And the thing is having someone from a different discipline poke your thinking from a different angle, it always creates those moments of like, oh, I haven't thought about that. That's so interesting. And that sometimes is all, all what it takes to start making some little breakthroughs. People are more interested in this. There are more opportunities to do this. There are more opportunities to teach these. Yeah, um, institutions are changing, programs are changing, funding agencies are changing, but also people have a new disposition about what the world is and they see how it's rapidly changing around them. And so they know that, th that they have to be respond responsive to, to that uh, rapid changes that they see and the crisis in plural that we're experiencing now. Yeah, I love that. And, and particularly tying it to the challenges we face in the world, because the artist role in that so often is this almost um, explaining, expressing what's happening in the world and uh, having us make some sense of it, too, and, and moving culture and society in certain directions is plays such a huge part. So then being so linked into the scientific community, the engineering community that we kind of need to help us through this um, and help us solve it is so important. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I would say that if I would have to point maybe one little difference, I, I usually try to see the links, but difference between art and science is that it, in science, we usually tend to try to find more answers. And in art, we try to find more questions, kind of question what you think you know, and actually not give you any answer. You find your answer. And so change the way you think about something or erode a little bit your thinking about something. So you're like, huh, I have never seen that in that particular way. Or, you know, how you create spaces for people experiencing something in a different way. And so you think about, for example, glaciers or you know the arctic but if you pick as an artist did pieces of those glaciers and put it in the middle of berlin or in different parts of europe and you can actually touch it that's a different way of, of experiencing and so it, it gives you definitely that space of ambiguity of new of not giving you an answer that i would say that that is the biggest challenge that i have had to start doing art is that I have to kind of put my mind of this needs to be perfectly explained to actually, I need to create something that is a little ambiguous so people kind of question what they think they know about that. And at the same time, I want to be accurate about the science that I'm portraying. So it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, tension between leaving things unresolved and things that are scientific in all in one piece which I think is always going to be the challenge, but, but, but that is very interesting to me. Wonderful, wonderful. Great, well, Fernanda, thank you so much. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. We learned quite a lot. Thank you, I enjoy, and you know, I could be speaking about these topics for <laughs> ages for, <laughs>
this is wonderful and and i just thankful for all these spaces this is also space you know that a wonderful space to actually think about these things i love podcasts because it allowed me you know while i'm doing creative things with my hands or washing the dishes or something engage in conversations with people are far away uh, listening is like touching with your uh, with your ears <laughs> and so it, it's this is these are wonderful spaces that that create that reflective moment that sometimes you cannot find it in any other moment of your day so thank you for for doing this too Thank you. It's wonderful. And yeah, and you certainly hold our theme tightly in your heart and mind. So we appreciate that. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. So feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people and also hit the subscribe button.